Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos como hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además tenemos velas, mantas suavecitas y más desde $7.99 y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos hasta las 3 p.m. en Nochebuena. JCPenney, celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters excluyen de los cupones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com. From the studios of Fox 5 in Washington, D.C., you are on the Hill. Tom Fitzgerald here with you. This time on the Hill, we're joined by Robert McCartney. He is the senior regional correspondent for The Washington Post, and he covers all things D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. Bob, good to see you. Tom, great to be here. Uh, thanks for uh, coming in and, and uh, discussing. My pleasure. Uh, for a lot of people now, I'm going to tell you, podcast friends, this one's going to be a little bit inside Beltway. So fair warning right now. We're going to talk a lot about a lot of things today that are particular to this region. But, you know, there are some universals in this. And, Bob, I think the one thing we wanted to start off with was our, our road system in the area. You know, people talk about inside the Beltway a lot. They talk about what goes on in the Beltway. Uh, for people who do not live in this area and who listen to this Belt. Uh, this podcast we should tell them for a moment and this is going to sound like a ridiculous question to you but explain to folks what the beltway actually is the beltway is yeah. a road uh, built in the 1960s uh, that surrounds the district of columbia it does not run through the district of columbia it runs through the maryland and virginia suburbs and it is the main way to either get get around you know bypass going through the city if you're coming south to north or north to south mm -hmm. um on i-95 and it's how a heck of a lot of people get to work uh, or just uh, go to visit friends or do shopping or whatever it's the main uh highway for the washington region even though it only goes through the maryland and virginia suburbs so we bring this up because this week we had a nightmare traffic uh apocalypse I, I don't think that that is inappropriately used for what happened here this past week a tanker truck flips over on its side just at the virginia side of the bridge that goes over the potomac river at the north end of the beltway that separates virginia and maryland and everything shuts down the beltway shuts down and then all the traffic that people were going to get onto the beltway throughout parts of Virginia, throughout parts of D.C. I was in Maryland, parts of Maryland up near Rockville. We were seeing weird delays because people going on other roads. We already have a situation in the District of Columbia right now where the Memorial Bridge is cut in half literally right now because they're repairing this. Uh, it, it kind of is an example of how we are in desperate need of maybe some other crossings over the Potomac River. Right. The, the principal barrier to transportation in the Washington region is obviously the Potomac River. There are a number of bridges, but they have not added bridges, uh, much less transit crossings, to keep up with the population growth. Mm -hmm. And this was a particularly bad accident in the sense that it happened uh, on the on this bridge, one of the the, the bridge, this uh, this called mm -hmm. the American Legion Bridge, uh, on the Beltway between Virginia and Maryland, and it is the single worst bottleneck in the in a region filled with traffic mm -hmm. bottlenecks. 
and the there's been for years they've been talking about widening and and rebuilding the bridge uh that's still a long way off mm -hmm. uh but when this bridge gets blocked in this case during the afternoon rush hour you basically you have backups for many many miles around yeah. i mean affecting four or five counties uh as well as the district people who typically take 20 minutes uh to make a trip uh, were needing to take three hours it was that mm -hmm. bad and it really did underscore the vulnerability and uh, fragility of the entire transportation system. The Washington region has some of the worst traffic in the country. Every time they do a poll or a survey of who has the worst traffic, we're up there, you know, sometimes number one, sometimes number three. I mm -hmm. mean, it varies according to the metrics used to do the study, but we're always one of the worst. So if anything goes wrong, and especially in a in a key bottleneck like this, it's just disastrous. And we've seen this before with, with uh, where a single incident basically brought the region to its knees uh, in terms of traffic congestion. So why can't we get together on this? Because there's this road called the ICC, which is stretching from I-95 over to 270 in Gaithersburg. Right, and this is there. in suburban Maryland. And mm -hmm. at one point, you know, when I arrived here in town almost 20 years ago, uh, you know, in covering the early beginnings of the ICC, well, I, I soon learned that that was supposed to be an outer beltway, that that was actually going to be larger than the beltway we know now. But it ends. It ends at 270 right now. It doesn't continue on. The prevailing thought had been that if you do put another bridge crossing over the Potomac River between Maryland and Virginia, it would go from, say, you know, northern Montgomery County into Loudoun County. Um, but the states and even the counties seem to have different viewpoints on this. Oh, very much so. The Maryland, especially, it's it's very difficult to get Ro new roads built in Maryland because mm -hmm. of opposition uh, a lot from environmentalists. NIMBYs? Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, NIMBYs, yeah. Uh, not in my backyard, uh, but also just environmentalists in general. Uh, and also, in some cases, and in particular in this case involving the proposals for a second bridge, which would be upriver north of the American Legion Bridge, uh, there are some very well-to-do people who live in Potomac, Maryland, horse country, mm -hmm. if you will, and they don't want a bridge because it would basically hurt the quality of life in their neighborhood, and they mm -hmm. have a lot of political influence, a lot of money and a lot of political influence. A lot of them are donors to political mm -hmm. campaigns. So if you combine those people with the environmentalists who are very strong, especially in Montgomery County, Maryland, which is the, the, the biggest county in Maryland and very progressive and prosperous and the one that would be what the bridge would connect to uh you combine the environmentalists and the and the horse country people and there's a lot of political opposition uh and plus there's there's not enough money to build a second bridge right now i mean there's there's they're struggling to find enough money just to do other transportation projects that are considered to be of higher priority such as widening the beltway and widening i-270 and the baltimore washington parkway that project that you just referred to is uh, one of the priorities of Maryland Republican Governor Larry Hogan. Uh, he calls it P3. Um, yeah, it's a public-private partnership to uh, build uh, express toll lanes, add uh, up to four express toll lanes on the Beltway in Maryland, on I-270, which runs north to Frederick, 
and the Baltimore Washington Parkway, which of course connects Baltimore and Washington. That this is a this is his signature mm-hmm. transportation project, and it's uh, it seems to be moving stalled. slowly yeah. <laughs> um, a little bit. And you know, part of the reasons is. He really only has control over two-thirds of this idea because the Baltimore-Washington Parkway, which, as its name suggests, runs between Washington and Baltimore, that is controlled by the National Park Service. Now, um, I've talked to the governor about this, and the argument he makes is, first of all, if you've driven on that road lately and you know parts of it resemble the surface of a moon, it is so Hot hole city. Oh, it's, it's... terrible the, the day one of the got, worst i've ever seen the day we had to go up to the bw parkway when the 737 max 8s got grounded we went through probably some of the worst patch of road i can remember in recent memory it, it was that bad and people were slowing to a crawl just to get over these things because it was it was so bad they've since lowered the, the speed limit on that road hogan's argument governor hogan's argument is this though what is the national park service which is part of its name, supposed to be in charge of parks. What are they doing in the highway business? Um, He wants the road transferred from the federal government to the state of Maryland so he can expand it, toll it, do whatever he wants. And fix the potholes. And fix the potholes. That's not going to be so easy, though, is it? That's going to be very hard. Uh, The federal government rarely gives up uh, roads uh, like that. Now, uh, there is a sort of a libertarian orientation in the interior department right now which might make it easier uh to to transfer control of that road uh to the states uh but congress would have to approve it uh it's not i don't it doesn't seem like it's a very high priority for the federal government mm-hmm. the it's not clear in particular whether the federal government would expect to get paid for transferring the road. The Maryland's view is, hey, just give it to us and we'll take care of it. It'll save you money. It'll save you headaches. And we get the road for free. Uh, But some people in the federal government might say, hey, we're giving up this valuable asset. We want money in return. There's also been talk of a a land swap somehow. You could also uh, trade land and and get the feds could get land back in in exchange. But, I mean, this is not this isn't moving fast as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, Hogan's got what, three more years. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he, he can't run again. And, uh, who knows whether the next it's more, most likely the next governor would be a Democrat since Maryland is pretty democratic. He's mm-hmm. the exception. It's not clear to me that, uh, the next, the next governor would, would necessarily go along with this. Uh, in fact, this week, uh, one of the congressmen who represents the area of road in question, Anthony Brown, came out with a letter uh, stating that he did not want to see this road turned into a toll highway because he thinks it's going to economically hurt uh, a lot of the people who depend on it to get to and for work and that they shouldn't have to shell out more money in order to fix a road that should have been fixed in the first place. Um, Hogan's had an interesting week, though, because at the same time where, you know, he met with the congressional delegation to kind of push for this idea of transfer the BW Parkway. Um, he also faced some slapback from the General Assembly this week. A couple of big vetoes uh, for Governor Larry Hogan. He's been kind of on a roll up until now. This may be one of the, the first series of setbacks he's really faced as governor. Yeah, legislatively no, at least. Yeah. No, absolutely. He yeah. had uh, two of his vetoes, pretty high-profile issues, overturned uh, by the General Assembly. In particular, the General Assembly had passed, which is controlled, both chambers controlled by the Democrats with fairly large majorities, uh, passed a bill to raise the minimum wage to, to $15 an hour 
by 2025 or 2026, depending on how big the company is. And Hogan said, no, no, that's too too much. It should only go up to a little over $12 an hour. It's going to hurt uh, businesses, especially in rural areas where the cost of living is lower. And the General Assembly said, no, we're going to, they just overturned the veto. I mean, they had enough votes and they, they it's going to go to $15 an hour throughout the state. So that was a pretty big rejection of Hogan. You know, Hogan in the past hasn't wanted to veto mm-hmm. uh, measures when he expected to be overturned. And he doesn't seem to have that problem anymore. Well, no, he's, he's yeah, in his second to, yeah. term, after, since he was reelected, the he seems to be willing to sort of uh, veto even if he is at risk of being overturned. Mm-hmm. And they also got overturned on an issue which may seem very parochial to people, but is a really big deal in Maryland. And that is that he wanted the all the schools to start after Labor Day and no school to begin before Labor Day, basically. And this was partly... It was largely to encourage people to have extend their summer vacations, their family vacations through Labor Day, so they'd stay at Ocean City, Maryland, uh, where you know on the boardwalk and on the beach, uh, and spend more money in Ocean City, which is a big Hogan pro Hogan area, yeah. uh, and the, so that was a big part of it. And the General Assembly said, no, no, you know, some school districts want to start earlier so that they can have a long, you know, more classroom days. And they slapped him down on that as well. What was interesting about that was Hogan did have a big Democratic partner in that effort. And that was the man who started the idea in the first place was the Democratic comptroller of the state, Peter Franchot. And Franchot himself this week had his wings clipped a bit when the General Assembly moved to pull back some of his authority over uh, alcohol. Yeah, well, Peter Franchot is both a very uh, controversial and very popular uh, Democrat. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's basically been allied with Hogan, the the Republican, against the General Assembly uh, and against much of the Democratic Party establishment. So they don't like the fact that m- much of the Democratic Party establishment doesn't like the fact that Franchot's palling around with Hogan on these on a lot of these issues. Uh, and so they, they took away some of his powers. Uh, it was just a straight, uh, you know, political power play. I mean, mm-hmm. they're just, we don't like what you've been saying, so we're going we're gonna to take away some of your authority. Um, I think that's, that's really getting inside baseball yeah, yeah. in Maryland politics. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it'll be interesting because, you know, they've got about two weeks left in, uh, in the General Assembly tournament in Annapolis. And it's, you know, it's clear by all indications that it's not the same old, same old about how these Democrats are going to deal with Larry Hogan, uh, who, you know, continues to have this low murmur of a possible presidential race, although it's pretty quickly dismissed by him every time you talk about it. But he still continues to go to these places like Iowa and New Hampshire. Yeah, no, we're going gonna, gonna to raise that kind of question because it's the no, time of the year. He's being a complete tease about this. Yeah. I mean, he says, no, no, I'm not. Gonna, I'm only going to run if, if Trump is, you know, something happens so that Trump can't possibly be renominated. I mean, obviously, if the Mueller report had had a different conclusion based on what we've heard about it, uh, the, the then he might have jumped in and been more active. Uh, but based on what we know so far, uh, the Mueller report is not going to lead to impeachment and uh, and he's not going to basically be crippled. Trump's not going to be crippled by that. But I mean, Hogan is clearly being, as I said, a tease about this. I mean, he's been to mm-hmm. Iowa. He's been to New Hampshire. Well, he uh, says he, it's he, all he, part of his work with ne- the National Governors. Yeah, that's baloney. He's, he's never <laughs> he's never he's not ruling out running. Um, and I think he likes the attention. 
Um, but the fact is, he, he is also very straightforward in saying, look, it wouldn't make any sense for me to run right now because I'd lose. And I think there was a poll that came out that that's had him in like oh, single Trump, digits. Trump trounced him in the poll. Trump like crushed him like yeah. seven to one or something. Um, so, I mean, he would run as a moderate, mm -hmm. uh, as a moderate Republican, sort of a anti-Trump Republican, or at least distance from Trump Republican. I don't think that's where the Republican Party is right now. I think even if something happened to Trump, I think they would want somebody like Trump mm -hmm. to be the nominee, and that is not Larry Hogan. I've seen moderates in the Republican Party before try to assert their voice in the party over the last 15, 20 years, only to be quickly erased. Former New Jersey Governor Christine Todd Whitman tried this as well, too. She was unsuccessful. Is he swimming up against stream in his own party right now? I think now? so. I think so. I mean, John Kasich tried this in the last uh, presidential uh, primary, a uh, moderate from Ohio, and he didn't go anywhere. Um, I think it gets... He gets a lot of attention. I think there's a lot of, you know, never Trump Republicans, especially in the in the chattering classes uh, who who like the idea. Um, you know, he's been a successful governor. I mean, here's the thing about Larry Hogan. He could be very successful in Republican primaries in blue states, mm -hmm. but like Maryland, like New York, like Massachusetts, like California, presumably. But that's not enough to win the Republican right. nomination. I mean, right. you got to do well in red states, right. too. And there he just gets savaged for for his positions, um, so, you know, such, you know, for basically going along with the Democrats on a number of issues. I want to talk about two politicians that are in a bit of trouble right now. Uh, first in D.C., and then we're going to look at Virginia as well, too. Uh, Jack Evans in the District of Columbia, the local government here in the District Council, has been a 27-year uh, councilman. He's currently in hot water over influence peddling. The Washington Post uh, was able to obtain... Um, letters and emails that Evans had sent to prospective employers, basically saying, I'm Jack Evans, I'm a councilman, I'm also the chairman of the WAMATA board, which runs the metro uh, subway system here. I can cross market if you hired me. Um, it raised a lot of eyebrows and more troublesome for Evans. It's raised the interest of the U.S. attorneys who are apparently talking to a grand jury about all of this right now. He was reprimanded by the D.C. Council, but he remains the chairman of the Finance Committee, which is a, probably one of the most powerful positions. The, mo of, the most powerful. Yeah, yeah. For short of council president. And he did lose oversight over some of the things that he liked, like arts and like Destination D.C. and things like that. But um, is this just another cloud that hangs over this council, which only a few short years ago saw some of its members go to prison? Absolutely. It's it's the first big cloud over the council since some of its members went to prison for corruption. Uh, he's under numerous pressures right now. I mean, the worst one is there's this there's a federal criminal investigation into whether he misused his office and even may have been uh, involved in a bribery scheme involving a digital sign company. Mm -hmm. uh, there have been numerous subpoenas about that. Uh, federal subpoenas about that. It's clearly a wide-ranging, serious investigation. So that's the biggest, the biggest issue. We don't know much about where that's headed or how long it's going to take because the prosecutors 
keep mum, as they always do. But then, he, as you mentioned, he already got reprimanded by the council. He's under an ethics investigation by the Metro board. There's a recall effort to to basically remove him from office. I'm not sure if that's going to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, And this is a very powerful guy. I mean, this is arguably, well, clearly the second most powerful person on the council after the council president. The she's chair of the finance committee. He's the longest serving guy. He's chair of the Metro board. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is the key guy uh, for the city in uh, trying to uh, build a new stadium for the Redskins mm-hmm. at RFK. He's a big champion of that. He was one of the main champions uh, who got the Nationals Park built for the baseball team. Uh, so this is a this is a crucial guy, mm-hmm. and he is basically hamstrung right now by these legal troubles, and we don't know how long they're going to last, but it certainly has a very, very big effect uh, on how the council operates. Speaking of troubles, uh, these weren't legal troubles for him, but certainly for the last couple of months, uh, Virginia Governor Ralph Northam has lived under a cloud. Um, when it became known that there was a picture of someone in blackface on his yearbook page, along with somebody dressed in a Klan outfit. Uh, there were numerous calls for Northam's resignation. He had a press conference, which was a bit of a meltdown, to be kind about it. Um, but nearly two months after all of this exploded across the Commonwealth, Ralph Northam is still the governor. Justin Fairfax, who has faced sexual assault allegations, is still the lieutenant governor. And the Attorney General, Mark Herring, who had already announced he was going to run for governor when Northam's term was up, um, remains in office despite he having admitted that he once wore blackface in college. So Northam came back to the area this week. He was in Alexandria to talk about, you know, kind of a pedestrian thing that governors would talk about. He was unveiling an effort to get people to stop, you know, distracted driving which is a good thing. You shouldn't drive distracted. But then again, here he was having to answer questions about blackface and his yearbook and the controversy surrounds it. So where are we at with this? Is this just Ralph Northam's life now that as long as Justin Fairfax remains under scrutiny and, and Mark Herring has also admitted to what he had in his past, that the three of them are just going to be in kind of this stasis limbo where they'll try to do these jobs, but at the same time, they're, not really going to move past any of this? Yeah, I think... It's an odd situation. Extremely odd. I think stasis limbo is a good way to describe yeah. it. The it's It seems clear that until unless something else happens, uh, there's no appetite in the, in the General Assembly uh, to, to actually force his removal, which would be difficult in any case. The impeachment, uh, the standards for impeachment aren't really met here. The, the uh, so I, it, he can basically continue to be governor, and he has been governor. I mean, he's been you know vetoing bills and signing bills and uh, taking policy positions. I mean, he's basically he's been maintaining a very low profile uh, for him uh, because of all these controversies. And as you said, every time he does take questions from the media or or which hasn't been often which has not been often uh, or appears in public you know he's gonna he faces questions about this but you know there's the seems to be this sense that everybody just wish it would go away 
And it's not going to go away, but it could be that, that it just sort of dissipates and, and, and melts mm. and, and, and nothing ever comes of it. But here's how it's not only not going to go away, but it's going to come back even louder because we're heading into a 2020 presidential election year, folks. And Virginia is going to be a very key state in all of that. So on the Democratic side... How are you going to mount a general election campaign if you can't even get up on the same stage with the Democratic governor of Virginia? And you can bet the farm that Donald Trump is going to go there once we get in to the general election campaign. So it it seems that although this has gotten quiet a little bit right now, this is going to come roaring back unless it's dealt with at some point somehow well i think what you're going to see is that people other than northam fairfax and herring become the sort of uh, public face of the virginia democratic party so and senator mark warner mark, senator tim kane yeah tim kane yeah. who uh, both the called senator, for the resignation who both called for northam's resignation kane of course was the vice presidential candidate with hillary clinton Mark Warner's very respected, uh, long you know, long-term senator uh, from Virginia. I think they're going to be the face of the Democratic Party nationally from Virginia, and not Northam, Fairfax, or Herring. Robin McCartney is the senior regional correspondent for the Washington Post, and he's been kind enough to join us this time on the On the Hill podcast. Uh, we want to thank you, Bob, for uh, joining us. It's great getting to talk more time with you instead of somebody yelling at us in our ear on television trying to tell us to rap all the time. Good to be here. Two of us can keep going forever, but it's, it's great to sit down and talk to you here on the podcast. Uh, it's, been, it's been a pleasure having you here. We also want to thank you uh, for spending part of your time with us. We do appreciate you listening in from the studios of Fox 5 in Washington. This has been the On the Hill Podcast. I'm Tom Fitzgerald. We'll talk to you next time. Ven a JCPenney y termina tus compras navideñas con brillantes descuentos como hasta 70% en joyería después del cupón. Además tenemos velas, mantas obesitas y más desde $7.99 y miles de doorbusters en marcas como Adidas, Champion, Disney y Carters. Recoge tu pedido el mismo día. Es rápido y gratis. Estará listo en dos horas o menos hasta las 3 p.m. en Nochebuena. JCPenney, celebraciones que valen la pena. Ofertas válidas hasta el 24 de diciembre en selección de estilos. Aplican exclusiones. Doorbusters excluyendo los cupones. Detalles en la tienda jcp.com.